Hi, I'm Tim O'Malley. Welcome to Church Life Today. Megan Schreiber is a Catholic mother of six, an athlete, and a Catholic speaker based in Philadelphia. She's co-host of the podcast Thriving in the Trenches, which engages in serious conversations on issues that matter to Catholics in the home and beyond. We're happy to welcome her today to our radio program. Welcome to Church Life Today. Thanks for having me. So we want to start with a question because, we, you know, a good deal of what we're doing here on Church Life Today relates to leadership. And often when people talk about leadership in the church, they'll talk about, uh, you know, ordination. They'll talk about direct pastoral ministry. But in a lot of ways, you're a leader in the church in, in, in a different way. How do you see yourself as exercising leadership in the church? Mm, that's a great question. So I thank you for for that, any rate, um, I was thinking about that earlier today too. Or just that focus on what we do in our homes, and our, our podcast focuses on engaging that domestic church and kind of getting people to thinking to that. And that's a critical point in the overall piece of the parish too. Um, so what we find is that just modeling certain behaviors, um, people look towards you in that leadership role. Uh, whether it's even just modeling out marriage and the way that God designed and planned in that, um, even how maybe you're treating your in-laws, um, different Uh-oh. ways, yeah, <laughs> different, well, it's interesting the topics that come up and you realize that um, the, the great responsibility you have to be a leader within your community, and it doesn't mean you have to have a big title, right? right? You can just be that everyday person. And we're constantly reminded of that, uh, my co-host and I, I think, you know, you look back in history and the people that God used, you know, when he can start using people like Megan and Becky, he really can use anybody. Well, you know, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> We've met worse. Okay, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, you said something about the domestic church, and I want to ask a couple of questions around this, because uh, in some ways the domestic church is often treated as something akin to like a, a metaphor, an analogy, but you seem to be using it in a richer sense. Uh, what's the kind of richness of that sense you see, you know, theologically, pastorally, in your own work? Sure. That's a great question. So when we do refer to the domestic church, we are talking physically as well as, you know, the spiritual component of it. So it's that notion, too, that your home really should be that extension of the church so that when you are raising your family and your kids in the faith, it's not foreign for them to, you know, go to church on Sunday and see these works of art and the crucifix and things. And that's the first time they're seeing it all week. You know, it's something that they should be seeing in their home. Um, And there's great ways to incorporate a lot of your faith journey. So, you know, even if you've consecrated yourself to Our Lady, kind of commemorating that with a piece of artwork is um, just encouraging. And they see that, that this is um, material ways that we're constantly reminded that, that we are the body of Christ. So, even living liturgically in the home can mean, uh, you know, having purple out right now, you know, that we are anticipating. We're in this anticipatory phase. And all the kids get that, no matter where they are. It's just a reminder constantly. So when there's those physical reminders, it leads into the spiritual reminders, too, because we, we remember those conversations of maybe why we have purple out or why we have green out in ordinary time, but it's really not that ordinary. So... It, there's a way to every day live uh, as reminders of the church and that we are that bigger body of Christ. 
Yeah, there's this way that the domestic churches I, I found as a you know as a dad and uh, as a husband that there's something about the the domestic church is a, is a space where the gospel takes material mm-hmm. shape. Uh, you know, I don't get to just think about ideas, but I actually have to live them out and think about how to concretize them with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned sort of using things in the home. Now, so you're in the art. You, you work in the Archdiocese of Philly, or Correct. sort of that's your home base. Yes, and uh, you know that's a complicated place. Uh, it's certainly uh, you, you don't have the thriving Catholic culture that you would have had in the 1950s and 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, so how how are some of the ways that 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 you could work in a place like the Archdiocese of Philadelphia to to to, to encourage this renewal of the domestic church? Mm-hmm. It's important, and and that's kind of we almost have to look at it as if like a grassroots movement, right? You know, it's like you go back and think about how the early church grew at its best. And it was always that person to person interaction, right? And so much of that today seems to be lost on a lot of things. So when we can have that um, within an archdiocese and you're talking to other, other, even other parishes, you know, you've got to kind of, uh, Philadelphia tends to be a really um, a provincial town. Everybody kind of, kind of stays in their parish base. And, you really have to reach beyond that, you know, and, and reach beyond in so many different ways. Um, a lot of the parishes are are based on kind of your ethnic heritage. You know, you've got the Italian church over here, and they still are very much like that. So it's important to reach across those those differences, so to speak. Um, and, and a lot of ways that that can be done is really this getting together in people's homes. So if you have a connection with somebody, is uh, I always encourage inviting them into your home. And then even them just witnessing that and seeing how you live that out, um, talking about pulling the gospel in. I mean, there's constant ways when you have teenagers in the house and the things that they're encountering to be able to really pull that in without sounding preachy, but how how it reflects the gospel maybe even in that time. What's the reading for the week? And you can do it in a way that the, the kids don't really even know it's happening and then you're sitting in mass and they hear the reading and they look at you like, oh, my gosh, we just talked about this. So it, to me, it's a constant conversation, um, getting together with other families who might be on the same journey that you are. But I encourage not necessarily on the same journey because we have to model that. We have to show that being a Christian family, being a Catholic family is really joyful. And it's really it brings a lot of fruit. And they have to they have to see that happening. And when they see that happening, it's something they want to be a part of. Yeah, the, the the point about grassroots just seems essential. I mean, this is a kind of slow movement, and it's uh, these joy of Catholic family life. It's not sectarian. It's not. Uh, there's a kind of openness to family life that allows the gospel to go places that it wouldn't, because well, families just go everywhere, right? Um, whether you want them to or not. Uh, of course, right. you know, in Philadelphia, you know, I'd ask you to react to this, but of course, <laughs> uh, it would be dangerous. Uh, what <laughs> if right. I told you uh, that I was a Patriots fan? Exactly. What would you yep. say to me? <laughs> Uh, would you would you heal my wounds uh, right. from the misery that I'm experiencing? But congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> you're listening to Church Life Today. I'm speaking with Megan Schreiber, who is uh, co-host of the podcast Thriving in the Trenches. Uh, I want to ask you something about hosting a podcast. Uh, so here we are. We're on a radio program, and I'm going to ask you about uh, your own work in, in, in radio. Why do you? Why did you start a podcast, and what have you learned in the interviews you've done thus far? Mm. That that's the first part I might not be able to answer because I'm still trying to figure out the why part. Uh, it was definitely a Holy Spirit moment uh, between my co-host and I, who we had not previously met before, um, reaching out to one another. Really? Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Where did you meet? On Instagram, oh. which is a which is 
crazy to say that. And it was one of those things where we connected. We were in a Catholic group on Instagram and connected, and we decided to chat on the phone. And within five minutes, we were both really encouraging each other, like, well, what is your dream? Like, what is what is God really speaking to you at this point in your life? And it turned out he was saying the same thing to us. And that was this deep conviction in our heart to fortify the families. And I said, but how do we do that? You know, the, the church does not need another program, right? How, how do we do this? And she said, I, th- I think we have to do a podcast. And I said, I don't know how to do that. Do you know how to do that? So um, we... But that's an adventure, right? When you when you really say yes to, even if it sounds outlandish. Yeah. And so we said, let's try it. And we've been pretty much blown away by the turnout, the listenership. I mean, I would say probably within four months, we had listenership in all 50 states and a, a huge following internationally, um, Japan being one of them, which is, is, it's almost a bit bizarre, but yet it also points to like the good piece of media, right? Where somebody can listen to something and identify with it. So uh, we're, we're kind of convinced that we, there's just a group of missionaries in Japan that might be listening to us, but you never know. You, re- you really don't know. And then we've been so blessed to have many, many guests on our show uh, to talk about issues that we believe aren't really being talked about or fleshed out enough. So oftentimes our listeners will say, I kind of get that idea of the domestic church, but I don't really know how to put that into practice. Or I think I understand theology of the body, but I'm not really sure how it, it you know, correlates to what, what I'm living right now. And so we get to talk to some great people and have really good discussions with feedback from our listeners that they'll, t- they'll send in. And then Becky and I will kind of unpack a little bit more. Yeah, so what are some things you've learned about the domestic church from those you've interviewed? I mean, it's a great opportunity to, to, to you know, if, to not just sit alone in your, your house or your office and say, okay, this is the domestic church. But you're, but you're talking to people from throughout the country and throughout the world, really. Uh, you know, what have you learned? What are, you know, two or three things that you think are essential that you'd want our listeners to think about? That's huge. Uh, I think we're still bringing that information in. But I would say the first is that um, I, I encourage people to really be confident in knowing that uh, the domestic church is a vital part of their faith. That's that's the one thing. I think that became a really foreign thought for a lot of people. Like they go to church on Sunday and then the home is home. So um, there's no way to really do it wrong. And it's just a matter of having conversation in your house. Um, highly encourage really diving into the word of the Lord and really centering the, the your week around the readings. I mean, those are just little things that you can do that will start to create some great conversation. And then I encourage bringing in some great artwork or um, great statues or enthroning your home to the sacred heart of Jesus. There are ways to really fortify your home and and your uh, domestic church in that sense. So you're kind of an expert on the domestic church. Uh, and, it, you know, you're giving me ideas. Uh, so what happens when it gets difficult? I mean, undoubtedly, you know, we all have raised children and, uh, you know, from the time that they're young to the time that they become teenagers to the time that some of your own kids now are in, flourishing in college. You, you know, what do you do when it gets difficult as a parent? And you kind of just want to, you don't know what to do. And, you know, you're, you're kind of lost and making it up, it seems, on the fly. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's the world we live in. So, so that's a reality. Uh, I know what's helped our family is, uh, and we've experienced, like any family, a lot of difficulties, 
is to have that safe place. So we particularly, we did enthrone our home to the Sacred Heart. So uh, that happens to be in kind of our family room, but we, we call it the enthronement room. And, you know, that became a place that was totally safe, right? So if we had to have conversations that were going to be difficult with each other, we entered into that knowing that we were sitting in the presence of the Lord. So that that was one piece. And the other, the other piece that's really buoyed our family is um, actually... Uh, from First Thessalonians chapter five, sixteen through eighteen, right? Rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God the Father. And um, you know that's important because we hear that and we think, yeah, 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 I'm supposed to rejoice. But you know, the, as we are raising our families and we're we're, we're talking to them about listening to God and fulfilling what the the father's will is for them whether it's you know where to go to school or what type of vocation we have to get this first piece down and that first piece of the father's will for us is to be thankful in all circumstances and i think when we can get that part down it makes the challenges manageable because we go back to the sovereignty of the father's heart and we know that he loves us and we know that no matter what we're going through he will be there and we will get through it. So there's, and it's hard to be really thankful when you have a sick child. It's hard to be thankful when um, things are really feeling like they're going down the drain. But we have to understand that if God is allowing it in that moment, there's got to be a piece that we're going to be thankful for. We might not see it right then, but if your family, if you can rally together as a family and focus on that, the graces do come. How do you sustain yourself as a parent in this? You know, um, you know, when you work in the domestic church, <laughs> you, a good deal of your spiritual life is with your kids, which is important, of course, right? But, of course, kids' spiritual lives are slightly different than adults, which is mm-hmm. normal, and you have to find that quiet space to go yourself. How do mm-hmm. you sustain yourself mm-hmm. as a parent in such situations? Well, that's huge, and it's hard to do this, but— um, and this, this is just for me. This is not me saying like what this is what people should do. But uh, at minimum, I have to be in adoration three days a week. I just do. And um, I would love to get to Mass daily if I can. It doesn't always happen. Maybe it ends up being four days a week. But that quiet time with the Lord is um, is vital for me. Because, it, you know, for, for me to be in a place to pour out God's love and grace, which is really just an overflow in my heart, I have to keep going to him to fill it up. Um, I so so that's been a really really key piece. There's quiet, right? You can um, spend a lot of time just adoring him, um, thanking him, and then I kind of save my petitions until the end. So I even try to break those three days three days up into one day is an hour where I truly am adoring him. I'm not complaining. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just adoring him. And then another day is now I'm really thanking him. And, you know, when you go in with that thankful, you know, you're kind of like, oh, thanks for the tree that fell in the backyard. You know, you have this little cynicism to you. I mean, really, by the end, you're, you're almost in tears like, oh, my gosh, thank you for the bed that I have. Right. Because you 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 your shift, your, your vision shifts a little bit on that. And then I try to save that last third adoration time for the petitions in my heart, which, you know, he's already answering because he knows, right? You know, he's probably sending the provisions before I even know I need them. But uh, that really has been a cornerstone for me. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's a, in, in some ways, it's the gift of parenthood is the gift of, of learning your own fragility uh, and the gift of, of then offering that back to God in gratitude. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an entrance more into the mystery of salvation than, than one could realize. You're listening to Church Life Today. I'm speaking to Megan Schreiber, uh, who is the co-host of the podcast Thriving in the Trenches. 
So the bishops are assembling in Rome soon uh, to to speak on what they think. Youth in the church, of course, by youth they really mean young adults.、Uh, what youth in the church?、Uh, how to work with youth? Let's say that、uh, the bishops call you and ask, "What do you think?、Uh, what would you offer some advice for the bishops as they move ahead on、mm. uh, considering this?" They might be surprised at my answer. But that's okay. I mean,、um, <laughs> yeah, there. You know, Pope Francis always speaks about this sort of dialogical listening. So,、mm-hmm. so, so I'm sure、mm-hmm. a bishop is listening right now. Sure,、uh, sure, okay. To find out. Yeah. So I, I think that the, at least what I've seen with my children too is, their hearts are so open to the miracles of the church.、Um, this is something I think that that they're missing in seeing. You know, we talk about the miracle at the mass, but, but I'm really even talking about those signs and wonders that our church existed on for so long that we've、um, just kind of shied away from highlighting anymore.、Um, so I know even with my children, when I read stories about、um, Eucharistic miracles and things like that, that just starts to change their perspective. Like this is big. I mean, my faith is extraordinary. You know, it's not just. In a book, it's not just theological, and it's not just getting to mass,、um, or or just being liturgical. It's huge, and I and and I don't mean fanfare huge. I don't mean you know flashy huge. I mean just going back and looking at the miracles, or even present day miracles. I think that we've lost that focus, and those miracles speak to the heart. They speak to the heart of the youth because they get a glimpse at the Father's heart. You know, this isn't just, and I, I think that's a key piece too with our youth, and what I've seen with our kids too is is when they can see a glimpse of the father's heart and start to feel his love. That's when things start to change, right? Because God is so far away for them, from them. They feel like, in a, in a sense, but when when he's close. That's when they want to enter into it. So I, I mean, you know, I know that there's, you know, say, oh, just summon up miracles, but but miracles do happen all the time. And I think for us to to go back into that awe and wonder of God and who God is, in His、uh, just in His heart, starts to really open up a beautiful conversation. Yeah, it seems essential. I, you know, I know from my own own undergraduates that I work with is that these are not just sort of abstract theories about what has taken place, but that actually、uh, the the love of God is present and unfolding here and now in our midst. And and, and the, it does strike me that the church has to point towards that because otherwise these become abstract doctrines, dry、uh, sort of. You know, there's a reality to it. Blessed John Henry Newman spoke about.、Um, That that you would learn to live in heaven by practicing heaven,、uh, because this is real. You know the things、That's、that、right. we do at mass, the things it, it, it points towards a reality. And I, I don't, I'm、right. not sure that people get that. Right.、Um, exactly. And the miracles seem to point towards that. That's right. You know, and and I think you know it's it's not that anybody's decided to not look at the miracles anymore, right? Just you know, it's just maybe the way our eyes shifted or our world, you know, the world got busy. But the the need for that, I think, is is so great、um, because it it takes us beyond all of those things and really reaches into again that where those conversions happen is that you know that that heart to heart those those face to face moments to be able to talk about those and and I encourage our church if that bishop is listening to to highlight those miracles and and call for more miracles because you know God's a lavish Father and He really does want to send all this to us because it's oftentimes sometimes that's what's going to spark that deeper journey of faith for somebody sometimes they need that. Yeah, the 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 miracles really do sort of testify to a, a sense that God is active, and and it really can move people to faith.
Um, I'll always remember my, my grandfather. Um, uh, I was very young and my, my grandfather had sort of a moment in which my grandmother uh, was sick and he was praying for her and we, it was touch and go. And, um, you know, it was a private in some sense revelation. It was a private moment in which he, he you know, he, he felt an, a sort of angel appear to him. And of course, you know, for the church to really determine that this happened, there'd have to be studies, and that's right. But but it, it didn't matter in some ways to him because what it did is it touched his heart to make him realize that God was there in the midst and watching my grandmother uh, get close, uh, you know, approach death, what it seemed like. And, and he's, they, you know, it was this word of God that was present and active and that consoled him in this hospital chapel. And, and that's the kind of thing that God still is doing in the world today, mm-hmm. if if only sometimes we have the eyes to see. That's right. And when you say that, when you I'm listening to that story, it's like, who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. You know, deepest in their heart, they want that because they want that intimacy with the Father. So, um, and, and I think, it, so to that point, I encourage, like, I, I think it's great that you shared that. People have those experiences. And even if they share it with one other person, like, I know God loves me. Let me tell you what happened. Because then they start to open up their heart and their ears to maybe wanting to hear God in a way that they wouldn't have previously thought about. You're listening to Church Life Today. I'm speaking to Megan Schreiber, who's co-host of the podcast Thriving in the Trenches. So, so you're interested, of course, in, in a particular way in Catholic education insofar as you continue to send your children to, to, to participate in certain times in Catholic education. So could you say something for our listeners? You know, you make decisions in the home. You make decisions as a, as a family. What do you think is essential for Catholic education to really flourish and to assist families in, this, in really promoting this domestic church? Mm, that, you, you, you may not know that I have a lot of different thoughts on this, but they're, they're good. Um, we have, you know, six, with six children. We've, we've done it all. We've had the small parochial school education. We've done private. We've done public. I've homeschooled. Um, we are at a classical Catholic education uh, school right now, and um, it is beautiful. Uh, one, it's you know true to the teachings of the church, which if, if you want your children to stay in the faith, you have to, they have to be in a school that, that stays close to that because otherwise it doesn't make sense and things start to disconnect and they will crumble. Um, but that classical piece, too, is getting the kids to think beyond. You know, it's understanding, it's understanding the rhetoric piece, but also the logic. And when they can fully grasp all of that, the teachings of the church aren't just teachings of the church. They're logical reasoning in the foundation of who they are as a human being. And that is what, as a parent, I ultimately hope for them to have because they'll be able to look, look at all the changes in the world. They'll be able to kind of really assess a situation and and look at it from a logical standpoint and then hopefully be able to have that language and that that conversation to um to speak you know tenderly but with truth so so um even if you're at just a regular catholic school i just think it's always important to be really involved and to know kind of what books they're using and just being able to have that conversation at home all the time um and and encourage your kids to to speak up i my fifth grade son one time actually had to raise his hand and said "Um, that's a heresy uh but it opened up a really good conversation and um, you know the teacher actually wasn't um, Catholic or wasn't raised Catholic so it was important that he he stood up and pointed out the difference um, and I'm you know 
That's what I want our kids well, to do. Wouldn't mind having him in class. So, uh, <laughs> well, I, we'll have to have you back sometime to talk a bit more about Catholic education, since uh, I think it's great. really essential to our mission here. So, excellent. Well, thanks so much for being on here today, Megan, and we'll have to have you back again soon. Great. Thanks for having me. 